Welcome to the Honor Roll Podcast, the podcast that helps you level up your role-playing game. Tabletop, LARP, mush, and everything in between. We're not better gamers than you. We just all have different experiences to share. And maybe we can help you have more fun at your game, because the only way to win a role-playing game is, is to, to have, have fun. fun. Woo! <laughs> I'm Ryan, I'm the curmudgeon, and joining me as always is Carrie the Legend. Hello. And Jason, the favorite. Also the one who just discovered Among Us. The best new game. I hope certain people are listening. Oh my gosh, Dakota is obsessed. Uh, Scott introduced me to it, and he's really good at it because he got me the last time I was the traitor. (laughs) Dakota, Dakota's strategy is okay. So, real quick for folks listening, if you don't know, it's this kind of janky little uh, eight-bit game, right? But it is sort of a cross between uh, (laughs) the movie Alien. And the board game Clue. I, I was going to say it is more like Mafia or Werewolf. Yeah, I was going to say Werewolf, with, yeah. Yeah. Well, and no, like the old school, not not like the LARP, but the old game Werewolf. Essen- and, essentially, uh, you're you're on a spaceship and there is there's like 10, 10 players on the spaceship. And like two of the 10 players are actually imposters. And well, it, it varies. It's one to three. Uh, okay. It's according to the difficulty for the, the, the more imposters, the harder it is for the crew to win. That's, none of this is fewer. important. Yeah. The point is a couple of people pl- are playing like alien imposters. And so the, the thing is everyone is going through the spaceship, trying to fix things to keep the spaceship going. But the imposters are going through the spaceship and secretly tr- breaking things or murdering people. And then every so yes. often, every so often, Every the game stops and everyone votes. This is the part that I thought was like clue. Everyone votes to decide who is the imposter and who is not. And whoever gets the most votes as the imposter gets put in an airlock and killed. <laughs> and 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 then the game goes, Oh, Bob was not the imposter. And you're like, <laughs> I, did, I just killed Bob. Oh no. Right. And so anyway, the way you win is if you're playing one of the people, you win by killing all of the imposters and if you're playing one of the imposters you win by uh not, not getting dying. caught right so that's kind of the game in a nutshell it's more complicated than that but at its simplest that's what it is but dakota's dakota has this <laughs> she, every time she plays when she picks her name the name she picks is imposter yeah because yeah. she said then um, nobody thinks i'm the imposter <laughs> <laughs> and you know what every time i've watched her play it's worked yeah. <laughs> to uh the next time scott's having a bunch of people apply we'll have to exchange codes because okay, there's yeah. little codes you can do and that's another brilliant thing is however they've got it set up you can cross play with any system really it's- that's super cool yeah well speaking of imposters Let's talk about our patrons. 
<laughs> so we have a Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash podcast. And for a few dollars a month, you can help keep the show going. Uh, it pays for our hosting fees and uh, our equipment and all of that stuff. And also in exchange, you, if you become a patron at certain levels, you get free stuff like books and art prints and postcards and shout outs on the show like what we're about to do now. Mm. All right. Well, I think Josh Heath from Werewolf the Podcast is an imposter. Really? Yes. Ah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what about Joel Eastland? Uh, he's also an imposter. he's an imposter? Yeah, he's also an imposter. Yeah. He probably is. Yeah. And then we've got Salim Halibi. Halabi. Halabi, I was close. Uh, I'm the uh, imposter. I don't want to ever hear anything else. Oh, you're <laughs> going to totally hear everything else. <laughs> don't even. Probably imposter, too. Yeah, probably imposter. Into the airlock. <laughs> Ryan Martin, airlock. Airlock. Drew, Drew Stevens. Stevens. I don't know. Mm, yeah, just to be sure. He'd, he'd be the kind of person that would make his name be imposter. He did it for Josh last round, and it wasn't Josh, so it must be him. Mm, okay, there we go. Uh, Ryan Galliato of Byway LARP. Totally. Don't imposter. trust someone who runs a LARP. Yeah, no, never trust. Face him. Mm-hmm. Cameron Pruitt. Oh, poser, Mike. poser, think, not an no. imposter, poser. Oh, oh. I was going to say that he's my, my favorite imposter. Uh. Into the airlock, Cameron. Yeah. Into the airlock. What about Noah Coltrip? I'm glad you asked about Noah Coltrip. This week, Noah is traveling to Fairfax Station, Virginia, where he's visiting the Bunny Man Bridge. What? Who would have thought bunnies would be creepy? Well, the Colchester Overpass, now popularly known as the Bunny Man Bridge, is an unpretentious one-lane concrete tunnel that also served as a railway overpass. Come moonlight, this otherwise simple tunnel looks right out of a horror movie, so it only makes sense that there's an urban legend attached to it. As the story goes, there was once a van full of dangerous criminals passing through the tunnel and the bus crashed and it freed all the criminals. And while most of the criminals were recovered or found dead, Two of them escaped, and after a while, the body of one of those two convicts was found hanging from the bridge with a note that said, The Bunny Man. Search for the second convict revealed several half-eaten rabbits hanging from surrounding trees. Finally, the killer was found, but he was hit by a passing train before he could be arrested. All right, ah. Noah Coltrip is not the imposter, but he gets put in the airlock. He's anyway. the bunny man. Just for in that. case. For that. <laughs> Look, I don't He's make, not doing his tasks. I don't make this don't stuff up. Him. This is where he goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, is that everybody? No, we have one last imposter. Oh, yes. One last imposter. Into the airlock with you, Sarah. Rah, 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 rah. She's faking her tasks. <laughs> well if you'd like a shout out on the show we'd love to give you one and you can get it by going to patreon.com slash honorable podcast when last we left our intrepid adventurers we were sitting here recording a show over zoom mm -hmm. and uh here we are recording a show over zoom mm -hmm. so what have you been up to jason 
Uh, well, you know, same as always, lots of work. I got to do something really interesting today, which is not fun for everybody else, but is fun for me. We have this big concrete room in the, like the lowest possible elevation at work, and it's a sump, and uh, it had a crumbling mezzanine in there, and we had to go in and shore it up. So that was creepy, dangerous, and a lot of fun. Creepy, dangerous, and a lot of fun. Why was it creepy? I, I, I said crazy, but that's okay. It was also pretty creepy because there was a bunch of places where the water had been running out of pipes for so long, the pipes had dissolved, and the water had started cutting through the concrete that was the walls of the rim. Was it nuclear water? No, no, it's clean water. Every, it comes from, I ask, so where does this water come from? And basically they said everywhere but the reactor. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. They were like, uh, no, it's, trust me. They were like, I know what radioactive water tastes like, and none of that tasted radioactive. <laughs> Where's this water come from? Fukushima? <laughs> anyway, uh, so I got soaking wet like three different times because I had to keep going back and doing more stuff for the engineers, which was fine because, you know, it's to hold up a floor while a bunch of people put a very heavy pipes on it. Right. So it was, it was entertaining. It was, it was a lot of fun. Folks at home and can't see it, but your beard is growing out as it, it does. Is. I've, I've started shaving my neck. So I'm just seeing what happens if I don't shave my face and just like trim up a little bit for a year. I think I'm going to go for a year and see what that looks like. You might like. get like an inch of hair. Well, I've already got like a a, oh, yeah. a solid half half inch, and I've I haven't shaved since January third. Uh, no, no, I shaved <laughs> once in January. I shaved once in um, like April, and that's been it all, all right. summer. Surprisingly, <laughs> that's how much I've neck. shaved. Yeah. <laughs> Carrie's leg hair is longer than your chin hair. Mm-hmm. Well. <laughs> I put it probably looks better it. braided too. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. I, I put bows in it. <laughs> Indeed. The what trick if, is to condition. Yeah. <laughs> what have you been up to, Carrie? So I was all ready and set to talk about my art show and Dakota schooling, all that. But then um, I had my, my mushes exploded last night. Oh, you posted you had like uh, four four new people so far? Well, this morning I woke up and there were four new apps. Okay. You know, sitting there. I have another one sit, while I'm recording. Someone else was making a new character while we're recording this. An um, app is a character application? Yeah, yes. And last night in the middle of my stream, I got a message from one of my players who was like, hey, bad stuff is going down. <laughs> on one of the, on your game and i'm like on the game that i don't stream and so i'm like of course i can't there's nothing i can do about this so i'm like trying to discreetly type you know like messages to people like, like what is the, what is the bad stuff yeah like what what bad stuff and like and i'm trying to make sure that i don't have to log off of my twitch account and go deal with drama or what's going on and it turns out that we have a player who you can there is a command that is not supposed to be turned on on the game, but is turned on. And if Whoops. you know that, yeah. And if you know the coding, you can make objects. I and see where this is going. Yeah, you do. They were sexy time objects. Yeah. Um, of course. They weren't, they weren't 
over the top sexy time, but they were clearly being used for those kind of things, which is fine if that's what your game is about. But But, it's not your game. But this is a high school game. And how old was the character? And the character was 14 that she was portraying. And I was like, nope. You know, like, so <laughs> I'm, so like, you know, we made sure that the objects were gone. And right. then this morning I spent an hour drafting two announcements that basically were like, nope, what the hell's wrong with you people? You know, and, and if I find out you're doing this, you're kicked off my game, basically. I mean, I've said it nicer than that, but, you know, like, sure. and, and, you know, while I'm doing that, I'm dealing with like all these new players who don't know any of this drama and are just like, we're so happy to be here. And I'm like, I'm happy too. As I'm typing. (laughs) So it was lots of drama and stuff, but I got the, the four characters that have been apt were all really fun, cool characters. And I'm excited to see what the players do with them. That sounds cool. Yeah. So Hmm. hopefully they won't all make dildos. No, they can't. They can't because if anyone... Oh, so it's been fixed. Well, it's sort of fixed. No, but if anyone makes any objects, they're off the game. Like, we have been very specific. Like, you make any object and we will ban you from this game. So I have a question. Why Why is that turned on? Is there a reason for that? It is turned on because at some point... A lot of times games are made from other games. Right. You know, and you just kind of reskin it. This was not my game to start with. Um, I inherited this game. So it was just never turned off. So it was just never turned off. And myself and my other staffer, we don't have that coding ability to turn off that off. That's beyond us. So we are researching now how to do that. But until we can just turn it off, we have put the the announcement out like just just no. If you yeah. do it, you're done. So. so does it have their name attached to it if they make something? Oh, I, okay. You are now asking questions that are beyond my coding ability. I believe, okay, cool. But I believe, I it, believe does. it does. I believe there yeah. is a way to tell. Yeah. Well, cool. I was just curious. Yeah. <sighs> Good times. That's not okay. Like, what's wrong with people? Anyway, so that's what I've been up to. What have you been up to, Ryan? I took this week off of work just to work on the gun belt. Really? I had no idea. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So I have written uh, about about 7,500 words so far. Um, That's good. So, That's you know, per day, right? No. <laughs> I'm not that guy. Goodness. <laughs> uh, so anyway, but making good progress and have written quite a bit. And so that's kind of cool. And the other kind of exciting thing is, and I've shared this on our Facebook page already, but uh, a, a while ago, uh, I was given the opportunity to, that's, there's Trixie the Memory Hound walking around. A while ago, I was given the opportunity to work on a product for White Wolf's Storytellers Vault. Mm-hmm. And, oh, is it finally dropping? And I was not able to talk about it until now that it's out, and it's out, and it's called Vampire the Wild West. And uh, folks know Werewolf the Wild West is my favorite White Wolf product, and so the fact that they were making a vampire book for the Wild West was right up my alley and so i was very excited to to play a small part in that and uh i i just i'm not gonna i'm not gonna you know mislead anyone i didn't write huge swaths of 
this book or anything. But you I, were part of it. But I was part of it. I did I did write some stuff, and uh, and so that's very cool. So anyway, you can get that on Drive Through RPG now, and um, uh, it it's a good looking book. Like the layout and design inside is really good. Carrie and I disagree about the, the cover, but I like the cover. She doesn't, but the inside is very pretty, uh, and. <laughs> um, uh, you know, it it looks very professional. It doesn't look like a a storyteller vault book on the inside. It, it looks like you know, like a real book. So mm-hmm. and it's I, it's good. That so reminds me, you you posted the first person perspective slash uh, in character uh, history for Gunbelt, and I I read it and I haven't got around to commenting. And I just want to say that I really enjoyed it. That was good. So it worked. It works. It works. I mean, I think you know, obviously, it needs that. Second pass, go through it, tighten everything up, but it's good. It's good. Okay. Cool. Yay. Awesome. So, yeah. So, anyway, go buy uh, The Vampire, the yes. Wild West book. It's pretty cool. It's got my name on it, and that's fun. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, and the other cool thing about it is that it's only been out like two days and it's already went copper, which is like a sales level. And so, like, it's, yeah. it's doing well. So, yay. Cool. Yay. All right. Well, there we go. Then uh, let's, I guess. Hey, hey, Jason. Uh-oh. You yes. should, you should go get a drink of water. You look thirsty. <laughs> I will do that. Okay. All right. We'll, <laughs> we'll be right back. We're gonna go to, uh, you know, that other part of the podcast. Uh. All right. Welcome to Combat Rounds. Today we are joined by the incredible, amazing, fantastical Craig Campbell Yay! from Nerdburger Games. Hello, Hooray. <laughs> I'm incredible. I'm incredible and amazing and fantastical. Yeah, yeah. So we've had you on the show a couple of times before. You've been here to talk about uh, Capers, uh, which was um, really awesome tabletop RPG about superheroes in the 1920s. Yep, and that was really cool. Mm-hmm. And we've had you on to talk about Die Laughing. Mm-hmm. We played it. Yeah, we actually played Die Laughing. Uh, Die Laughing was kind of a, a fiasco-ish role-playing game, except <laughs> well, us playing was a fiasco, well, but yeah. it wasn't the game's fault, right? Uh, <laughs> but players have characters, and it's kind of based on horror movies, and mm-hmm. uh, and that's super cool and fun. And today you're here to talk about your new project, which is Good Strong Hands. So. Tell us, uh, tell us, what's the elevator pitch for good, good strong hands? Well, it's a tabletop fantasy role playing game where you portray um, fantastic creatures um, who are working to save their wonderful world of reverie from destruction by a malevolent, faceless uh, thing, a force of entropy known as the void. Um, so it's the 2020 election. No. <laughs> or or it's never ending story and I just renamed the nothing the void. Um Yeah, let's go with that. Let's go with that. I don't, don't want Don't give talk away about your trade secrets. <laughs> oh, it's it's pretty clear. I mean, the game's called Good Strong Hands, which is a quote from Rockbiter from Never Ending Story. <laughs> For some reason, I keep calling it Big Strong Hands and then Ryan yeah. and then Ryan and I keep looking at each other going, that's not right. But then we can't remember no. that it's good, and we're like, oh, gosh. Well, 
in fairness, Rockbiter refers to his hands two different times. And one time he uses more words than the other. And when he uses more words, he does refer to them as big, good, strong hands. Okay. So I'm not um, completely So the big nuts. is in there, but that's too many words for the name of, Fair. uh, that's too many adjectives <laughs> Too many <laughs> for, too for many. the, for the title of the games. So I stuck with two. Um, how how and, weird is it that there has never been a never-ending story role-playing game before? I don't know. Um, you know, when it comes to any IP, I suppose licensing. Sure. Um, whether or not somebody has been interested in creating it and whether they can find out who to get in contact with and whether or not the license is available and that whether, you know, whoever owns the IP is interested right. in mm -hmm. licensing it out because that becomes a whole legal matter on their end like do they feel that it's worth spending the time and the effort to find out what it takes to license it and then figuring out what the deal could be and it's you know and for a movie that yeah. for a movie that is beloved um mm -hmm. as much as it is it's you know and it's it's a known ip and you, you could do something with it but it's you know maybe one of those that's like a little bit this side of like guaranteed profitability, you know, like where it'd be a bit of a gamble, maybe. I don't know. Right. I don't, it's kind of funny though. Cause we think about a lot of like nostalgia really sells right now in particular. And oh, yeah. so, uh, so it's interesting that nobody's, nobody seems to have really pursued it before. Um, but you know, it, it, it's also, wasn't it, wasn't it a book before it was a movie? Like, isn't it a, an older children's book? That's a very good question. I'm not even sure. <laughs> I think it was. Yeah. So, I mean, so it could have something to do with that too, is maybe navigating film rights with, with, Oh book yeah. That, I mean, and then there's sequels and you know, like we don't talk about the sequels, right. But, but <laughs> there's people who love them, <laughs> and, know, but and here's the thing, you know, the sequels, sequels introduce characters and they introduce concepts and stuff. And those are part of the IP of the sequel. And if the sequel is owned by somebody other mm. than the person who, whoever owns the movie is different than whoever owns the rights to the book. Then how do you get all of those things together? Right. Like what happened with Firefly? Cause Firefly and Serenity are owned by different studios. So you have a yep. Firefly role-playing game book. And then there's also a Serenity role-playing game book. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of, although ironically both were put out by the same company, just <laughs> several years apart from one another, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. you know, you know what we should do another <laughs> one of these books. No. <sighs> so, well, you know, S Spider-Man is finally in the Marvel movies. Well, that's so. true. That was yeah. a huge mess. Yeah, Spider and it's still a huge mess. There's still like, you know, stuff that's getting hammered out about that because like they're, I don't know where they stand. I know that supposedly can they, can they do fantastic for now is Should that they? back in my clutches um, i'm not even sure yeah hard telling <laughs> so <laughs> so why the never-ending story uh well it's that in you know that movie and legend and labyrinth and willow and the dark crystal and just those kind of lighter slightly more fanciful uh, fanciful um games or, or sorry movies from my youth that you know Again, it, the, the nostalgia factor is there. I would be lying if I <laughs> said that this isn't a, partly a play on nostalgia. Um, <laughs> but like they, they do some things differently than your typical uh, kind of mid magic to high magic swords and sorcery kind of games. And so I thought I would explore that and see if I could kind of come up with like um, an interesting game full of um, character 
folk that you can play that aren't typically seen very often in fantasy. Um, like what? Like games? Uh, well, you you can play like there's uh, brownies, fawns, sylphs. There's uh, you know some that are kind of invented for the game, which is like woodkin, which are basically tree people. Mm-hmm. Um, Wildkin, which are anthropomorphized animals that can also transform into their animal form. Um, <laughs> they, they, they came initially out of Sir Didymus from Labyrinth. Yeah. Uh, the little fox guy. Yeah. Um, and I thought, okay, well, what, what if you have like these little, you know, fox people, but they can also transform into actual foxes. And when they're fox, in fox form, they can run really fast. Um, and then they've got all the other, you know, all sorts of other cool stuff that you can give them to be able to do. And then I said, well, and we should have, you know, a badger type uh, character that can, when they're in badger form, they can burrow and a rabbit one that can jump really high. And um, during playtesting, someone said, why isn't there an otter folk? And I said, there is now. And then otter folk can swim really well. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Do you have, is, does the game have uh, rules so you can kind of create your own animal folk if you come up with one? Or is it kind of uh, clear the sort of a formula? Uh, it, it wouldn't be difficult to create a different type of folk, um, whether it be a wildkin variant with a different animal or whether it be some other type of folk. If That's one of the things that I don't know that I'll put it uh, in the game book. I might. Now that's a thing that I could put in there. Crap. That's more page count. <laughs> that's going to turn my page count off. Sorry. But it could, it could also potentially just be a PD that I gave and said like, like here's a, a, a guy stretch goal freebie for creating your yeah. own type of folk we'll make more stretch um, goals for him right now <laughs> and uh and in there, there's no formula to it really there's um you know basically a series of of talents that the character has access to um that you can you can you start with a few and then you gain you can gain more as you go and then you have um also corruptions that are dark powers that come from the void that, you know, so if your character slips into darkness, you can gain access to those. And they're, they're thematically appropriate to the, uh, to the individual um, folk. Mm-hmm. So um, as an example, let's see the pixies corruptions. They have a wish corruption where they can grant a wish, but that's very powerful magic. So it's very costly when you do it. One of the things that was so interesting about capers was that, uh, you know, you kind of themed the mechanics into the genre, right? And you used a deck of cards. So what right. are the, what are the mechanics like with good, strong, hand, big, strong hands, good, strong hands, big, good, <laughs> strong <laughs> hands. It's not just with that, me. <laughs> with that strong hands game. Yeah. Um, the, uh, well, I went, to, I went with dice and I kept it relatively simple. Um, You've got four traits in the game, which are body, mind, charm, and heart. And they're all kind of what they sound like, what what you would expect them to be. Uh, And they're rated one to four, higher is better. So when you make a trait check, you will roll a number of D6s equal to whatever that rating is. And there are ways to increase or decrease that, uh, the dice pool. Um, But basically you'll roll those dice and you're shooting for a target number of four five or six and trying to get at least one of your dice to hit that target number or better. Okay. And uh, if you fail at your check, you, uh, you know, you fail at the task 
the the GM can introduce a complication and you mark a checkbox on the skill track. And when you fill up the skill track, you advance your character in some way. Oh, that's so. So you succeed or you you become better at things by failing. Right. That's very cool. Um, if you get exactly one die to hit the target number, you uh, you succeed at the thing you're doing, and you mark um, one spirit. Which in, in in the game, spirit is a currency that you spend to to do different things. Some of your talents are powered. The more powerful talents are are powered by spending uh, spirit. You can also spend spirit to gain dice. Um, little so it's it, a little reminiscent of like force points back in the old Westing games, Star yeah, Wars it's, thing. It's uh, uh, they're they're Benny's uh, drama. I've seen drama you know, points. Ins- inspiration and, from D and D. was Moxie and Capers. It's a right. It's a yeah. It's a and so that 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 total will go up and down as you spend and gain. Okay. Um, however, then if you succeed on two or more dice hitting the target number, you are successful at the task. You gain a boon, which is to say everything you know goes better um, for the for the check that you're making for what you're trying to do. But then you also mark one shadow. Because when you succeed that well, you prove yourself to be very confident or uh, well, confident and competent and a hero. And the void notices you and starts to plant the seeds of corruption within you so that you will no longer be a hero. Instead, you will fall to corruption and become an agent of the void. So, the so trick- when you do really, really well, the void comes for you. So the trick really is to just, you know, kind of be a okay character. <laughs> <laughs> I need, I need my hero to be meh. <laughs> <laughs> or, or you need, uh, you want to uh, go ahead and, you know, get all that spirit as quick or sorry, all that shadow as quickly as you can and get yourself a corruption or two um, so that you can have cool abilities that are a little, uh, a little darker, maybe a little more powerful, but then start walking the line because if you go too far and you gain too much shadow and corruption, um, you lose your character. Your character becomes a bad guy. Yeah. So speaking of losing characters, are there mechanics for your horse to drown? <laughs> I can't even tell you. Well, I'll say this. That, that scene has come up in more podcasts then it hasn't come up. I'm podcast. sure <laughs> that scene um, has mortified in. There is an entire generation yeah, that has been scarred, by scarred that. people. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. Rem- um, yes. Remember- you can absolutely lose your horse. <laughs> Why not? Oh my gosh. <laughs> That would be a great complication in a swampy kind of area. Yeah. <laughs> and then you try to get them to come out again and you get another failure in the complication and down goes the horse. Right. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the kinds of adventures that, that this game supports, because one of the things uh, that's unique about good strong hands is that it's not like you're heading out to, you know, to fight the dragon to save the prince. Well, you may be saving princes, but you know, you're not out, <laughs> you're not heading out to fight the dragon and, you know, get the gold and loot the bodies and stuff like that. Like, you know, you're fighting this giant, uh, I mean, it's a meta plot really, you know, in every game. So, so what kind of, what well, makes the, can you talk a little bit about the uniqueness of the adventures that this kind of setup brings about? Sure. Uh, the game has, um, I mean, you can you can play it however you want, obviously, but the game has a series of two-page story schemes in it, which is basically a uh, two-page adventure outlines oh, cool. with uh, the basic information um, for running a game. And they vary. There are some adventures, uh, some story schemes that are 
you know, pretty um, similar to things that you might run into in a, in a more traditional fantasy game. There is a dragon to be defeated because there's a dragon that is an agent of the void and it's causing all of this destruction. Um, so you can, you can de- defeat the dragon and its minions. Is it Falcor? Um, but- can we kill Falcor? Oh my gosh. What is wrong with you? <laughs> I can't believe I married you. <laughs> if, am I with, without Jason here, am I suddenly like the counselor? Is this going to turn into couples counseling? <laughs> usually it's me yelling at jason that's why ryan doesn't get yelled at so much (laughs) it's all your fault jason yeah um but uh there's there's other things that you can do too where there for example there's uh, a story scheme in there where you are um stopping um a machine from producing this massive storm cloud um, at the top of this uh, incredibly tall tower. And there are people who have um, fallen to the void, have given themselves over to the void and are keeping the machine running. Um, and it's a, a pretty thinly veiled um, story of climate change and saving the world <laughs> from sure. that. Um, Cause you're creating this massive storm that's going to like wreck everything. Right. Um, if it, if it, if it finishes growing. So typically, um, and- typically do adventurers end up like directly like fighting and stopping the void or, or is it more like adventures within a world where this void is looming? Well, the, 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 the setup in the game is that the void returns every few hundred years to try to destroy reverie. And so it has to be beaten back and, and, and held at bay by heroes. Um, it, the, the void itself as written, not that you, you can't play it differently. The force of entropy. It's how everything eventually deteriorates and ends. And someday, probably, the void will win. But not this day. Right. Is the idea behind the game. So um, you're not necessarily the, like, there's no stats for the void. You don't necessarily fight it directly. There are uh, things that are sort of avatars of the void that are presented in the game. They're called um, void scions, you know, characters that you might run into uh, folk that have fallen over um, and kind of given themselves to the void or, or allied themselves with the void there. Are, you could run into characters that have been cursed or who have fallen to corruption, like the characters, like the players characters can. Um, and then there's, of course, all the NPCs that are kind of caught in the middle of, of all of this. So there's there's part of the, what the game is about, too, is just dealing with a world in crisis. You know, when, when the world is on the brink of destruction, it's not just the only struggle to have is not just the struggle of the player's characters against whatever they're fighting this week. It's the, you know, the world is in trouble. So you might have an entire adventure where you're just trying to help people deal with relocating after being forced to flee. Right. All right. And there might be dissension amongst those people and there might be, you know, uh, fear and worry and, um, you know, some agents of the void that are trying to stoke paranoia or, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can go with it. Yeah, that's awesome. And so this game is, it's now on, on Kickstarter. Like the Kickstarter is running right now. Yep. Right so now. folks can go there and check it out. Uh, it's called Good Strong Hands and, and it's funded, right? It is funded. It's, uh, it's through a stretch goal. I'm not sure when this will go up, but it's, you know, at least one stretch goal where I'm, I'm pretty confident that we'll hit quite a few more. Um, and so what that'll do is it'll just add more and more content to the book. So the book gets thicker, the game gets bigger and better. Every time we, we do a stretch goal, it'll be either 
actual content in the book or it'll be PDF support kind of material that um, will be useful stuff to, uh, uh, to use during play. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. What is uh, the, what's the cost? So if somebody wants to, to back it, uh, if they want to get a book, the PDF is $20 and that'll include everything. There's no like gradation up for like, if you want the stretch goals too, you have to pay more um, straight up $20. It'll give you everything in PDF um, $40 for a hardcover along with everything in PDF um, and Kickstarter will charge you for shipping. So everything's covered. You won't, you won't have to like place an order or anything later right. or pay for shipping later. It'll like, it'll magically appear at your doorstep when it's uh. done. <laughs> um, and then there's a $60 tier which is for a signed limited edition um, hardcover that uh, assuming we get, we, we, we manage to move up from print on demand to a print shop run, which I'm hoping to do if the Kickstarter does well enough. And I feel like it probably will. Um, that'll be, uh, that'll be a really sweet little something that for, for people who really kind of dig that extra special kind of thing. Um, and it'll be, it'll never be available for retail. It's like, I'm I'll literally order enough for the people, right. um, in the, in the Kickstarter plus a handful more to be able to like give away for prizes or something like yeah. that. Um, and a few for myself. Now this is, <laughs> what, what is this? Your, your seventh, seventh Kickstarter. This is nine. Nine. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I actually, had to look that number up about a month ago. I was like, I'm about to tell somebody how many Kickstarters I've su successfully run. Cause I was talking to somebody about, um, about like what my experience with Kickstarter was. Yeah. And I had to look it up. I forgot how many. That's I amazing. Though. You're, you're like, my life is Kickstarter now. I don't know. There's it's, always one running. It's fantastic uh. though. I mean, that's, that's yeah. a lot for, it is. for, for, a, a for anybody. You know, for a one person, I mean, more or less a one person uh, indie, you know, game producer, like that's, that's amazing to produce right. that much. Part and partners partnered with several dozen excellent freelancers who do a lot of the stuff that I don't have to do, but Absolutely. I do have to take care of all the publishing side of it. Right. So yeah, it takes up, it takes some work, yeah. but um, it, it helps that I am single and have no children. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to, if, if you don't mind, can we talk a little bit about the, the mechanics of this Kickstarter? Because there's some, something you're doing different this time. Um, cause you and I have, have talked a little bit about Kickstartering and, and the, the smarts and the, the do's and the don'ts and, and lessons we've learned and stuff. And one of the things that we had talked about once was this idea that you, uh, you always basically let drive through RPG fulfill, fulfill the, the physical copies by, uh, basically you would sell, um, I mean, you're essentially selling like the coupon for folks to order them at cost for themselves if they want to print. Right. Books. I've done that a bunch, all right. the capers, uh, in all the original runs of each of the capers, kickstarters and my first game murders and acquisitions and die laughing were all that way. You would, you'd get the discount code for the, for the right. at cost book. And, and one of the things you had, you had said was I have no desire for my house to be a distribution center. That's <laughs> what you, you, right. you told me. But he quotes you on that all the time. Because I believe it because <laughs> you know what, when I printed, when, when I did the honor roll book, back mm -hmm. seven years ago, six, seven years ago, like my living room became a distribution center and it sucked. Right. And so, <laughs> so I hear yeah. you. Um, but this time you're actually offering directly a physical book. And so I'm curious what brought that on and what your, you know, kind of what your plans thoughts on that are. You can pay people to ship that book out for you. <laughs> and it's, 
it's affordable and you just have to figure it into the cost and crunch the numbers a bunch of times and double and triple and quadruple check. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's all doable. Um, Is that something where the market has changed and made it affordable now? (laughs) It's not so much that the market has changed. Like the, you can, you, you could have done it before. And I could have done it before. One of the things that scared me before I kind of got further into things was like, well, it's another hat. It's another thing I need to learn how to do because corresponding with a print, uh, a printer, you know, print shop and learning how they're making this thing and making sure you're giving them what they need and doing, making all, all the right decisions and getting quotes and knowing and understanding everything on the quote. So, you know, exactly what you're getting. There's a whole um, language, then, you know, comparing the that. pricing. I mean, when I did the capers hardcover, the fancy one, um, I, I asked so many questions of my rep, um, at the printer and she was very, very kind and, and, uh, <laughs> and said, you know, I do this with people all the time. It's okay. Um, but I, I learned how all of that works by doing that because I thought like capers was popular enough. I think I can probably, it's not going to make me a bunch of money, but I can squeak out a print run. Right. That'll make some people happy because there's people that would love to have a really nice version of the book. That's going to be, you know, sewn binding and um, some other perks and things, you know, some, some fancy stuff to it. Um, and then I can get, you know, a couple hundred to sell, but then of course, you know, the pandemic happened. And so now they're right. just sitting in, but they'll, they'll sell eventually. It's just a question of when I get back into conventions um, with this one. Part of the reason to do this is because the game screams storybook and fairy tale and the artwork deserves that kind of printing. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize. And and frankly, the graphic design as well, the graphic design as it's, as it's turning out, I feel deserves that kind of printing and there's nothing wrong with POD books. Print on demand has come a long way. You can get some really great books, but if you want a book that's really going to hold up and stand the test of time and is going to look really great. Um, like, I just thought, okay, why not? Like, like, let's see if I can get a few hundred copies of this thing into people's hands, plus a couple hundred copies for myself. Right. Um, yeah. Print and, on but, demand but, is but, great. But I have but, to do, yeah. but I have to, you know, I have to hit the right place in the Kickstarter to make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. Print on demand, like the, the, it's close, it's getting better, but you know, there is still, there's a vibrancy of color that you get from a, you know, from a four color printing press, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that you just don't get when they run them off on, on, you know, cause essentially they're color copiering them basically. Yeah. It's you, a, it's a fancy photocopy machine. Yeah. So I mean, print on demand. they look pretty good, but they, for what they are, but they don't, you know, there's a little something that pops when you get it done on a, on a press. Yep. So that's very cool. Mm-hmm. I like it. I approve. Oh, well, okay then. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> Proceed. You have my permission. But you know, I didn't. I didn't have to learn all that crap when I was learning all that other crap. Right. <laughs> so I, like, so I just kind of slowly got to the point where I was like, okay, now I can do it. Will you learned everything game... on the nine times before, right? <laughs> yeah. Will Will the next game get a a print run like this? I f- I wouldn't necessarily count on it. Right. Um, just because I've done two of them doesn't mean that they're all going to be print runs from this point forward. It's going to, you know, I need to, I want to see what the sales look like when I get stuff into conventions and distribution. Um, and uh, there's, there, there, there are some types of things that just probably isn't worth 
Um, you know, like you may make a, a smaller game, like, right. Like something that, you know, just doesn't really, you know, like this doesn't need to be a fancy hardcover yeah. and there, and there's just the size of the print run, which is the big impediment to a lot of people. Like if you're only making 300 copies of a game, go POD, like right. you're going to pay so much um, per unit. If you do a 300 print um, at a print shop, um, like, I mean, you could potentially find something in um, a country outside the U S that's really cheap, but you're, you know, now you're dealing with shipping, um, right. you know, extra money shipping to get it over here and it could potentially get hung up in customs and all sorts of other crap could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually like, you know, the, the capers book I printed with Jostens, um, the company that did the yearbook uh, company, right? The yearbook. Yeah. They do yearbooks <laughs> mostly. Um, but they, they can do everything. Like, so they were able to do the satin ribbons and the printed end sheets and the really glossy, this and that. Wow, that's funny. Um, and then I'm, 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 I'm working. I'm not with, I'm not with Jostens. I'm working with a company that I actually, um, have been recommended by some other folks, um, that, uh, if, if everything goes well, they'll, they'll print it. And I'm getting, you know, the, once I get like, once I know I can do about 500 copies, like the, the cost per unit starts to become reasonable. Right. Anything less than that is it probably needs to go POD. Now keeping in mind that 500 copies is like some copies for me too. Right. Right. That's not, I don't need 500 people. <laughs> to get the book. No, no. Yes, you do. I mean, it'd be nice. Well, I, I, I would like it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I don't require it for well, the, uh, but, but I print, require print that because I need everyone to go order this book. That way I can get a nice hardback of it. Cause there I've you. already backed the Kickstarter and, and I want the good book. So everyone <laughs> go support this. Nice. <laughs> Everybody wants the really nice book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it'll happen. Yeah. I feel good about it. Well, again, good. I'm glad you <laughs> feel good about this, Ryan. Wow. <sighs> good times. Good times. So uh, when does the Kickstarter end so that folks listening know, uh, you know, because podcasts live forever. So um, <laughs> uh, it ends on October 22nd, 2020, just in case you're listening to this three years from now. In the it's future. long gone. Attention future listener. It's over. <laughs> you missed it. And with any luck, all of the print shop copies are sold now. Well, no, it'll be. We'll be doing um, Good Strong Hands second edition, <laughs> based on the sequel. Yes, <laughs> based on Neverending Story two. Yes. Shut up. I, I don't. I don't know about that. <laughs> I haven't even. I haven't even given thought to like the idea of a second edition of any of my games. None of them are old enough to warrant a second edition. Right. Well, Capers got. Uh, Sort of, kind of a second edition. Not really a, yeah. It was more like no. Just it's, re- it's completely the same game. It just got a fancy, just got a fancy book. Yeah, that's all right. I like capers. <laughs> you have my permission to do that too. <laughs> wow. Well, there. What has your experience been like with running a Kickstarter in a pandemic? Have you found that 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 the pandemic has affected you know the way people have responded? It's hard to say. Um, I ran Kickstarters earlier in the year, and I had like I had the Capers hardcover Kickstarter that happened right at the beginning of the year, and that did you know kind of what I expected it to do because it, there's a lot of people who they have their regular you know the POD book or the PDF and that's all they want. Right. Um, but then I turned it over very quickly because it was all done. 
Right. Um, and then, you know, now books are sitting in the, in the, uh, <laughs> in the warehouse. Um, and then I ran, uh, capers off world, um, on Kickstarter right about the time the pandemic, like really started to rock and roll, like right, right, right. When com- companies were sending people to work at home and all that sort sure. of thing. Um, so yeah, I think, um, and there was a lot of financial uncertainty there is now with, with, with a lot of things, but there was certainly like, you know, it was very pronounced then. Right. There's no way to know because I can't run a parallel universe version of the Kickstarter where there was no pandemic. Right. Um, but yeah, I feel like Capers Offworld probably underperformed a science fiction superhero game probably should have done a little better than it did, but right. it did well enough to fund. And now it's a third supplement in a game line that does continue to sell like the, the, the core game and all the supplements sell. Right. Like the, 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 the post Kickstarter tale is there. Like I'm actually a little surprised that um, capers and the the supplements have maintained a a solid run of sales for now. Like, you know, capers is going on two years old. Right. It it sells as well now as it did a year ago. That's fantastic. And you, you, is that through drive through? Primarily. yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. You have my permission to keep selling this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was the reason I asked about the performance of, of Kickstarter during a pandemic is because I know that one of the things that that has been interesting to me is that when the pandemic first started, it looked like gaming in particular on Kickstarter took a huge hit. Uh, like people were terrified of, you know, am I? Do, well, I think everything right. took a big hit. Yeah, and, and now it seems like. Uh, it's starting to seem like gaming is starting to, I don't want to say benefit from the pandemic, but I think that, you know, there are a lot of people who are like, well, I would have spent a hundred bucks this month on going to restaurants and, and seeing movies. And since I'm not able to do those things, I have this, you know, hundred bucks that I could instead buy a couple know, books, good strong hands or whatever. Yeah. And so like, I've noticed that, yeah. that in the, about the last month, it seems like uh, gaming Kickstarters have seemed to, have started to rebound so that that was i think that's definitely happened um it's it certainly i don't know if it's anywhere near what it was a year ago but i think it's much better now than it was in march and april um people are a little more secure in their, their finances to know to kind of understand where they're at and what's going on they have like you said disposable income that they would be spending elsewhere and because they're not going out to restaurants or going to game conventions they got more time on their hands. So they're playing more. They're playing more and they're buying the game books to read and maybe they don't get a chance to play. There's lots of gamers, you know, like I'm sure you're like me. How many game books do you have that you have only read parts or, you know, big chunks of and never actually played for me. It's many, many, many. Yeah, We're not going to talk about that. (laughs) No, I I would like to talk about that. (laughs) No. Okay. I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Well, the, the point I want to make is that there are a number of levels at which you can enjoy an RPG book. Mm-hmm. You can enjoy the art. You can um, read parts of it and just kind of be like, kind of get a taste of what it's about. You can um, read, like if, you like if you're big into lore and setting, you can get a game that is heavy on lore and setting and just read and enjoy that lore and setting and being immersed in that world. And this is all without ever playing the game. Um, you can read the game book front to back just because it's something that you want to read. If you're a designer, maybe you just want to read the rules. Maybe right. you want to see what kind of new and interesting things people are trying. And then you can potentially play it 
Um, and it can be a one shot or you can play a campaign or you can GM it or you can stream it. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to, to consume an RPG. And, you know, even then, depending upon what role you're, you're in, if you're actually doing the game, you, you may or may not read different pieces of it as well. Yeah, the, exactly. you know, the, the storyteller, the game runner is going to read more of it in different ways than a player who's just playing, you know, maybe just reading the one race that they're playing. You know, yeah, some people are going to show up at the game and, and kind of have the GM sort of teach the game to them, and they're just going to use the book as a reference material. Right. Look at the tables. <laughs> yeah. What does this spell do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, you know, my friend Ashley, the the one of the, my partners on the Gun Belt, he was, he's one of those guys that he buys every single gaming book ever, and he just, he reads them, you know, front to back cover, reads the whole thing, never plays a single game. But that's just, that's yeah. what he loves. He's just like a, a little, little librarian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of people that do that or not necessarily with every book, but even with just some, yeah. you know, they just enjoy reading parts of it. Like I've got the alien RPG book that's sitting over on my coffee table. I've not read the whole thing front to back. That's a thick ass book. It's big. Mm -hmm. It's big. Um, although admittedly it could be like 40 pages shorter if they would have used negative space a little differently. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of empty there's a lot of empty, which, which don't get me wrong. I think it's fitting for Alien because Alien is about isolation. Sure. Um, so having having a lot of black empty space with words in, in the middle of it kind of fits. But, you know, the book could have been 40 pages shorter. If right. They <laughs> actually just done a two column format without so much empty space. Um, but, you know, I haven't read the whole thing front to back, um, but I've read chunks of it and, and, and enjoyed it that way. Yeah. With good strong hands, would you say that this is a it's a campaign game, or is it more of a does it lean more towards one shots or just like a couple of couple of game sessions? The hope is that it can do all of that. You know, like you can you can have a one shot that tells like this story about where you kind of dealt with the the void in some way and helped some people or saved some people or whatever. Um, but then you could also have. Um, like a much longer campaign where you're dealing with all these different problems and slowly kind of building toward like a big climactic moment where you'll deal a significant blow to the void um, and send it packing for this time around. Right. Um, in those story schemes, there's one story scheme in there that is specifically geared to be the end story scheme. Um, and you, you could technically play it, um, as a standalone, it would lose something for it because I'll, I'll just like a little tease about it is that a good portion of what's in the game asks you, asks the players and the GM to go back to their previous adventures and, and bring forward characters, locations, items, and things that they've encountered previously at, and to incorporate those into that end game. Right now you're nine, nine Kickstarters in. So that's, <laughs> so this is at least, at least your 10th large game. And I know that you've designed many small games that, uh, that you've not kickstarted and things like that. So you have a lot of games under your belt. Uh, and that's something really cool. And you should be really proud of that. Cause I think it's awesome. My question is now that you're this far <laughs> in and have done so many games, was there a thing in good strong hands that you got stuck on like what was the hardest thing was there a thing that was tough to to figure out uh, or make work and and what was it it wasn't 
so much about making it work rules wise. There was a, there was a question at one point about whether or not I should include something. The, the, the folk that you can play, the different types of characters um, were, I had like a certain list and I was kind of like, ah, this, this list feels like it's missing some things. And one of the things I had in, at one point was the idea of it being, of having a goblin. I'm going to play goblins. And I started debating that kind of right in the midst of this big, big discussion on Twitter and in some other spaces mm. about uh, monolithic evil and mm-hmm. inherently evil races. Right. Not that goblins are always presented that way, but they are often presented that way. Yes. And it made me rethink quite a bit about how I was presenting adversaries in the game. And it sparked me into having a conversation with uh, Stefan Pennington, who was the um, sensitivity consultant on this game, which was to, and what he, what he and I talked about primarily was um, fantasy tropes that are overused and that have baggage associated with them. Right. That like, and ultimately it turned into the discussion of like, okay, elves, dwarves, gnomes, halflings, orcs, goblins, hobgoblins, ogres, they're all out. They're all out. Anything that has like, and not that elves have baggage, but they have preconceptions. Right. Where you like, if you're going to play an elf, you're going to like a lot of people are going to kind of play them like what we all think of elves to be because yeah. based on our experience with, with um, certain media. Um, and I thought that since the game is encouraging you to build this world as you play and kind of define what uh, define the specifics of these different types of folk, um, why include folk that have so much preconception yeah. built into them? Um, and just like, oh, well, now half the world's just going to be like, oh, it's got elves and dwarves and, and elves live in forests and they act like this and they're haughty and dwarves live underground and they're like this. And, you know, um, so I just decided, oh, OK, yeah, just screw it. Toss them all and we'll get, uh, you know, <laughs> sylphs and pixies um, <laughs> and I'll invent some stuff. And that's where it went. So that was like I, I, I debated from the initial conception of like, Hey, maybe goblins. And I started toying around with like some of the talents that goblins could have and what these goblins might be like in this game. Um, to the point where I finally said, Nope, goblins are out. It was like a month. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, uh, there was a, there was a great deal of kind of reflection that went into like, yeah, Let's just set, let's set that stuff aside. You want to play an elf. There's 50 games where you can play elves, right? I don't need to compete with that. I can make something something that's a little, I can make something that's a little weirder and fluffier and has, you know, odd races to play. And yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of, do you mind talking about, about your sensitivity person for a minute? Um, well, to to an extent, I mean, I don't want to. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> He's gotta be like, I, don't, about it. I don't know a lot of juicy personal details. <laughs> to you, tell, tell us some of the negative stereotypes no. about him. No, um, so uh, have you had a uh, a sensitivity consultant on all of your games? No, this is the first time I've really delved into that. Um, and and in a formal way, like there's certainly been I've had I've had discussions with people about all sorts of things. Right, right. Um, in the past. Um, you know, I, ta- I, I talked quite a bit with people who might have a different take on the 1920s 
right. <laughs> when I was creating mm. Gapers because I was like, okay, how much am I going to hit on racism and sexism? Yeah. Do, and I, so do I really want all, how do I broach the fact that mobsters are always, are always the Chicago Italian people, right? Like, yeah, they're all Irish know. and Italian and maybe a Jew or two. Yeah. And, and so you have like to kind of it. <laughs> yeah. And so you have to navigate that, but like what made this game different? What made you decide to actually go all in and actually, you know, have a, a person? Um, well, it, you know, it came about, there was that, that big discussion in Twitter and some other places. And I, I found myself kind of getting pulled in there and it was the, some of the, the, some of the origins of some of these classic fantasy races, like where they came from with Tolkien and other authors and what they, how they're kind of presented as being like, Oh, it's okay to kill them because they're evil orcs or whatever. Right. Um, and how that in the real world, the, the terminology that's used to define those creatures in the media, and especially in like in the original media, um, is the same sort of terminology that is used or has been used and still is in many places used to describe certain races of people, certain ethnicities, um, certain um uh, you know, LGBTQ folks and so forth. It's like calling, saying that this group of people is um, they're thieves and they're evil and they're perverts and they're, you know, all these different things that we just, like that you would ascribe these broad blanket terms to a group of people, even if it's a fantasy people, like when you present that in a game book and say, okay, orcs are all brutal savages who, you know, blah, 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 then people who have, who are of a, uh, a, a group, you know, who are of a, uh, a community that has been marginalized and spoken about that way. They see that like, Oh, they're saying this about orcs, but my people have had that exact same thing said about it. In fact, it happened last week. Right. Um, and like, why, why, propagate that in a game book when you can just as easily say every race of people or in the, my game is I'm referring to them. Every type of folk has the propensity for good and evil and everything in between. And it's individuals who make those choices. And maybe it's even groups who kind of band together and throw in with the void or whatever, but it's because they made a decision to do that, not because they're predisposed to do it. Um, and you know, from a moral and just being a good person standpoint, that seems to make a lot of sense to me. And honestly, from a marketing standpoint, why would I want to ostracize a portion of a potential audience? Yeah. Um, just from a business standpoint and then ostracize people that might love this game or who might come to be fans or become friends because like, well, I just got to have my evil orcs. Right. Um, you know, and yeah, I grew up, I'll, I'll be honest. I, you know, for, for many, many years, it was orcs are evil and well, it's just a game. Yeah. Well, that's to me, the straight white guy from Wisconsin, but ascribing certain, you know, these, these blanket um, descriptors to orcs or to whatever fantasy race feels and, you know, feels an awful lot like the things that they have been called yeah. and have in many cases suffered for. I think choosing so kindness. That. Yeah. Fuck that. <laughs> I think choosing kindness is, is like, 
it should be the easiest thing that we as people do. And for whatever reason, it's not. But well, I really um, and 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 I'm going to throw this in there real quick too. Yeah. The argument that well, it's always been this way, never, ever, ever will hold water with me. The 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 the, the argument that that's how it's always been that is the worst reason to keep something some way. Right. Absolute worst because it was probably always that way for some shitty reason <laughs> way back <Yep. laughs> in the past. Yep. yep, I agree. Well, if folks want to learn more about good, strong hands, uh, where can they go to do that? Well, they can go to the Kickstarter page. <laughs> so you can go to Kickstarter and search for good, strong hands there. It's open until October. What'd you say? 23rd? 22nd, 22nd? So Tuesday, uh, Thursday, Thursday, October 22nd, it'll be uh, going, but by all means, your, you know, your card doesn't get charged till the end. So if you want to throw in now and help boost numbers and get to stretch goals now, by all means do so. That's awesome. And then if they, if they're from the future and have missed the, <laughs> and have missed the Kickstarter, you have a website they can go to, right? Yeah. You can go to nerdburgergames.com. Um, and, uh, you can buy stuff at drive rpg.com. That's fantastic. The game is and occasionally, and if you're in the future, you can also buy the games at some of your larger conventions. There we go. And go back his 11th Kickstarter. That's probably going on <laughs> right now. They're in the future. Yeah. Number 11, number 11, two years from now. Now we're going to be at like number 15. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what's next? Uh, tentatively. Um, is if, if Kickstarter does the, and maybe even if they don't, but Kickstarter in the, the past couple of years has done, um, zine quest in February every yes. year, yeah. uh, kind of doing small scale zine style RPGs. I have an idea that I've started to work out. I had an alpha play test at one point. It's basically, it's a, it's a very rules light, um, improv oriented, uh, GM less game where you are portraying monsters in the modern day who are just trying to get by in the suburbs and are really, really terrible at it. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, if you are familiar with what we do in the shadows, it's that with the serial numbers scratched off. Right. Oh, yeah. That's fantastic. I'm, I'm all about that. <laughs> Great. Hey, well, well, no, there's one more thing. Oh, okay. I, you had mentioned something to me, Craig, about... Sure. You're doing a Twitch channel. Um, yeah, plug I've done that? some stuff on Twitch. I've done some stuff on Twitch. Um, I ran a campaign of capers on Twitch and I've done a few things here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but, uh, you know, in, in conjunction with this Kickstarter, um, I decided to um, call in favors from people in the streaming and game design space <laughs> and say, hey, would you people like to come and play a game of Good Strong Hands with me? Um, so that's happening this coming Saturday now as we record it is Thursday. I don't know when this is going up, so you may not be able to watch it. I, I hope live, it goes up. I hope it goes up tomorrow. It'll be on the, it'll be on the YouTube channel afterwards. Right. Awesome. Yeah. And is but, that, that's uh, Nerdburger Games when, when, YouTube channel? Yeah, Twitch um, Nerdburger Games. Um, and you can follow me on at Nerdburger Craig on Twitter, and I'll be posting, uh, he, you know, heads ups about that and links and everything. Wonderful. That'll be Saturday afternoon, 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern. Well, thank you so much for stopping by to talk about this, Craig. We like having you Whee! on the show. So, <laughs> and I'm sure we'll thank talk you. to you. I like talking to you guys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I look forward to uh, having you pick my brain some more, Ryan, about uh, 
game stuff and publishing stuff. Cause for those of you who aren't aware, um, Ryan is making a game as well and it's rocking and rolling. <laughs> I'm and, trying. Uh, he's, he's reached out to me a few times, um, and, uh, asked about, Hey, what about this? <laughs> and so I've been, um, trying to share my accumulated wisdom of three years. Yeah. You know what? I, I want to say like one of the cool things about making a game that a lot of people until you make a game, you don't know is that independent game designers love game design and they love to see other people designing other games and succeeding at it. Right. Like and the, the, uh, the group of designers, everyone that I've met through because of Ryan Everyone is so supportive. Yeah. And they all want to, they all want to help. And, and in particular, Craig, you've been fantastic in, in, I mean, I, I wouldn't, it's, it's kind of mentorship. I mean, I, I'm okay with saying that it's not official mentorship, but I'll allow it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bringing it back. <laughs> but, but yeah. And so I just, you know, I, one of the, that's one of the things I love to be able to tell people is that, well, if you want to design a game, the people who have, who have already done it, they really will help you. And that's so great. And, and I appreciate that, that you're one of those folks. So. Yeah. And there's, because there's so many people in the indie RPG community who were in exactly your boat two years ago or five years ago or whatever, where they needed help from other people. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of institutional knowledge um, that gets passed along at the big companies from, you know, the, as the, you know, as the additions come out and the, the, the employee pool churns. Um, but within the indie realm, it's, it's open and free and it's just like, well, it's just a bunch of people who all kind of do the same thing, but they all do it their own way. And so they just compare notes all the time and yeah. are always uh, kind of sharing and learning. There's a lot of mistakes that can be made and mm-hmm. so and oh, avoided yeah. <laughs> and avoided because others have made them. And so, <laughs> yep. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Craig, uh, Craig Campbell with Nurburger games Yay. with uh, good, strong hands on Kickstarter right now. Uh, unless you're two years in the future. Uh, but anyway, thanks so much for stopping by, Craig. It's been really fun. Bye. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, our always, always a blast. All right. Welcome to Game Wrap. All right. Um, that was cool. It was. I like good, strong hands. I can't, I can't wait. I can't wait either. Oh, Jason's back. Oh, hey, how was that glass of water? <laughs> Hi, Jason. Welcome back. Hello. Hello. That's probably the best episode we've recorded in a while. Yeah. I, I felt yeah. like, uh, you know, sometimes Easily. sometimes when you do something, it feels like it's missing something. But this felt perfect. <laughs> oh I, that's, what, that's how I feel about it. Yeah, it was good. So anyway. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. Well, let's give experience points. Um, do you get one for attendance? <laughs> I don't know. I think I do. I, because just like at the Lars we used to play, if you show up and you have your $5 and you leave immediately, we give you your XP. So uh, Jason's giving me five bucks. But, All right. Oh, well. The equivalent of $5. <laughs> Let's, uh, see what you got on the magic item right, chart. I'm going to be mad if you get something good though. And I get crap. Well, I always get something good. I know. You know that. And I always get crap. Well, I mean, you get a Sunday from McDonald's on a day the ice cream machine's not working. Oh, oh, well, that's every day. I mean, really, every day. 
I'm not sure why people know that the ice cream machine is broken at McDonald's. How, how do you know that? Why do you ever go to McDonald's and say, you know what I want? Some of that white crap that you call ice cream. I'm sorry. It's I not working. I despise that stuff. It's disgusting. All right. You want to know why? Because why? the people at McDonald's don't know how to dip their cones, so they dip them like 30 times, and then you get like an inch of chocolate on it, and it's awesome. That, that's good. That's, yeah. I'll I mean, also that tell you, fun. they have the best hot fudge in the world. They do have really good their hot fudge. Their hot fudge is stellar. Their ice cream is not so stellar, but their hot fudge is great. Carrie, you get one experience point ah. for attendance, yeah. and let's see what you get on the Magic Item chart. Ooh, a gift card for Orange Leaf. No, oh. you get real ice cream. I do. That's well, pretty nice. I mean, it's not ice cream, but it's well, no, yogurt. She doesn't, but it's delicious. Yes, it is delicious. Wait, wait do they have the pistachio? Pistachio. Pistachio. Nuts. So good. It's so good. What was the other flavor we had that was so good? We just had one that was, was it salted caramel latte? Yeah. That was a good one. That sounds good. It was. Join us next week when our topic is prestidigitation, friend or foe. How do you spell that? Uh, friend, if used correctly. Until next time, I am uh, Ryan the curmudgeon. <laughs> Are you sure? I was with Carrie the favorite. Jason Legend. Uh, allegedly. Close enough for government uh, work. Goodness. I'm mm. sorry, everyone. Until next time, remember the only way to role play is to have fun. <laughs> Woo! The only way to win is to have fun with my friends. Oh.